Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by my friends over at ShopC60.com. If you haven't heard of Carbon 60 or otherwise called C60 before, it is a powerful Nobel Prize winning antioxidant that helps to optimize mitochondrial function, fights inflammation, and neutralizes toxic free radicals. I'm a huge fan of using C60 in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle to support your immune system, help your body detox, and increase energy and mental clarity. If you are over the age of 40 and you'd like to kick fatigue and brain fog to the curb this year, visit shopc60.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 15% off your first order and start taking back control over your health today. The products I use, I use their C60 in organic MCT coconut oil. They have it in various different flavors. They also have sugar-free gummies that are made with allulose and monk fruit. They also have carbon 60 and organic avocado and extra virgin olive oil. When it's combined with these fats, it absorbs more effectively. And carbon 60 is great as a natural energizing tool because it really helps your mitochondria optimize your energy production. Now, if you take it late at night, for some individuals, it may seem a little bit stimulating. So that's why we recommend taking it earlier in the day, and it will give you that great energy, that great great mental clarity that you want all day long. It will help reduce the effects of oxidative stress and aging and really help you thrive. So again, guys, go to shopc60.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS to save 15% off your first order and start taking back control of your health today. If we're going to be healthy in the 21st century, we have got to keep inflammation under control. Inflammation is literally the root cause of all the different degenerative chronic health conditions, things like Alzheimer's, heart disease, Parkinson's disease, cancer, diabetes. These are all characterized by chronic inflammation. And so I went ahead and I interviewed some of the top experts in the world when it comes to inflammation and actually created a summit. It was called the Chronic Inflammation Summit. We hosted it in May of 2021. You may have listened, you may not have, but I wanted to share some of my favorite interviews on this podcast. And this is one of them. You guys are going to get so much value out of this podcast. And if you know anybody that's struggling with any sort of chronic health conditions, maybe they have pain in their body, digestive issues, autoimmunity, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, brain issues, please share this podcast with them. It can literally change and save their lives. And if you haven't already, take a moment and leave us a five-star review. Your reviews help us reach more people and impact more lives. Thanks so much for doing that. And let's go into the show. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Chronic Inflammation Summit. I'm your host, Dr. David Jockers. And today we're going to talk a lot about liver issues. We know the liver is one of the most vital organs in your body. There's so many different functions that the liver has. And we really need to dive into this because when we look at inflammation as the root cause of chronic disease, 
we have to look at the liver and what's happening there. And so our guest is Dr. Jay Davidson of drjdavidson.com. He's a two-time number one international best-selling author, and he was the host of the Chronic Lyme Disease Summits. He, he did multiple Chronic Lyme Disease Summits and uh, the Parasite Summit, Viral and Retroviral Summit, and the Mitochondrial Summit. He's also the co-founder of the retail supplement line, Microbe Formulas, and the practitioner supplement line, CellCore Biosciences. I know my team, we use uh, the CellCore Microbe Formulas products, and uh, they're fantastic. We really love them. And so, uh, Dr. J, welcome to the summit. Uh, it's great to be here, David. I just love uh, the content. I mean, you've just to give you props for the listener, I mean, you've put together and researched and put together content for so many years and just so thankful for uh, that because it's helped to change so many lives. So just really appreciate all the work you do. Well, thanks so much, Dr. J. And I know we go way back. We knew each other in graduate school when we were going through and getting our degrees in chiropractic and functional medicine. And uh, it's great to see how far you've come and you're really a leading voice in the functional nutrition, functional medicine world. So I appreciate everything that you're doing. And let's talk about the liver. I know you, uh, you're you passionate about this vital organ and it's a, a major area that you look at when you're working with clients. So what is the function of the liver? Yeah, I love this organ. I mean, you, you mentioned it, it's a lifeline of the body. It is the detox system essentially of our body. I mean, you have our kidneys that also have some function in that too, but the liver is really that primary thing. So most people know that the liver does phase one and phase two detox, uh, you know, the, the reduction oxidation, and then you got, you know, all the fancy, the acetylation and methylation and all those fun things. And essentially it's taking a chemical, usually actually makes it a little bit more toxic, throws it to phase two, nullifies or detoxifies it, or basically, you know, makes it not toxic. And now it's got to do something with it. And so I really want to focus on what does it do once it processes the chemicals, how does it get rid of it? Because if that system starts getting backed up on how it gets rid of it, then it starts backing up the whole process of how you actually detox. And so there's this thing called phase three detox, which I think a better name would be, it's it's how the liver drains. And so you have, you know, your liver, it's one of the most amazing organs. It can regenerate itself. Um, you know, cells can basically convert into other cells. I mean, it, the research on it is just phenomenal. But let's say that you have some chemicals, you process them phase one, phase two, and now it's got to do something in phase three. Well, the, the preference is that it's going to dump these chemicals into the bile ducts. And so the bile ducts, just think of it like a tree. So if we have our, our liver organ and we have a tree coming up, all these little branches, it's pushing the toxins into the tree that then's getting caught into a bigger trunk and you know so on. And then that's getting released into the GI tract. If that liver bile duct system gets clogged up at all, massive health issues happen. And there's many factors of what uh, you know causes that, which we can get, get into. But the purpose of the liver is that it is the detoxer of the body. It has a big role with blood glucose and glycogen. It's got a big role with hormones in the body. It has multiple functions, but because of the amount of toxins that we're exposed to in the world, you know, there's 85,000 that have been registered to the EPA just in the United States alone that have been man-made created. Hardly any of them have ever actually been researched for safety, let alone how they interact with one another. Because of all these chemicals that we're bombarded with, we need to make sure that we are giving optimal support to the liver to help process and handle them as much as possible. And if the bile duct system gets clogged up, 
um, we run into major issues. And if somebody has any GI problems, constipation, diarrhea, SIBO is a big one, IBS, you know, ulcerative colitis, anything in that category, GI dysfunction, we need to look at the bile duct system because that has a big impact on the actual GI tract itself and digestion and absorbing nutrients, fats, you know, all those important things. Yeah, this is such an important topic and that was a great explanation. And a lot of people have the misperception that the liver stores toxins. People say that all the time, but actually the liver deactivates toxins, pushes them into the bile, and then it's the job of the bile to help push them out of the system. So what is bile? Let's talk a little bit more about bile, what it is, what all of its major functions are. Yeah, so bile essentially is a detergent. Um, so this is really cool to think about. Um, I always love these interviews, just love to see where the host like yourself wants to take this. But if you think about, you know, when you take a supplement, it's got to go through a pretty rough environment before you can actually absorb it. If you eat food, it's got to go through a pretty rough environment before you absorb it. That rough environment is stomach it's like walking across Death Valley. And then it's got to go through bile, which is almost the opposite. It's the Antarctic, you know, and you're walking across with a, a, a coat on. So there's a lot of supplements that don't have ability to absorb very well. Um, bile is a emulsifier. So it's a, essentially there for two points. It is to neutralize stomach acid, and it is also to emulsify fats. Now, the bile, as far as neutralizing stomach acid, just kind of getting into the nitty gritty, um, your pancreas produces sodium bicarbonate and then is released into the bile duct that then you know gets connected with the liver bile duct, the common bile duct, and then gets released. But what we now know is that our actual bile ducts from the liver actually secrete bicarbonate as well too. They make about 25% of the bicarbonate. So a big portion of if anybody has stomach acid issues and generally what what occurs is GERD, acid reflux, right? Oh my gosh, I, and the mainstream thing is you have too much acid, but really what's happening is you're chewing food, it goes down in the stomach, it's gotta get to a low enough pH, which generally drops to pH of two to help basically break down the food. If it doesn't get low enough, when it releases into the small intestine, the body rejects it. It's like, hey, this isn't, this isn't good. And then the acid comes back up. And, and then we think, oh my gosh, I have too much acid, but it's actually a lack of, so it's not, Mm. not breaking it down enough. So then in the functional medicine side, we, you know, 18 HCL or apple cider vinegar. But the question really needs to move into, well, why am I lacking stomach acid? And what happens is if your bile is not flowing properly, and there's many things that coagulate that and cause dysfunction, then essentially you don't have a, uh, if the bile's not moving to get released into the small intestine, when the stomach acid comes down to neutralize it, your body says, whoa, too much stomach acid. I need to decrease the stomach acid. And so then we you know, want to increase it, which is, is good, but we need to take the next step and really think it's the lack of bile flow. So we need to increase bile flow. So bile has many things now they've shown in the literature. There's some really cool stuff if anybody's interested in digging in. There's this thing called the blood bile barrier. And essentially means that when toxins can't dump into the bile, that you get essentially leaky gut of the liver and the mm. cells open up the tight junctions, and then those toxins go into the bloodstream, and then it affects endothelial cells of your kidneys, of your lungs, skin. This is where rashing, itching comes in. And it's all just basically because the liver is not draining. So the bile has many functions. The most notable ones is for emulsifying fats and then also neutralizing stomach acid. But more and more research, just the last couple of years, has listed more, more and more functions to it, that it, it actually acts as a communication once it gets in the GI, it communicates back to the liver what to do. And in, in the bile, 
you have bile acids that end, or end up turned into bile salts. And essentially, the just to finish some of the science on the bile, where bile acids and bile salts come from is cholesterol. So 70 to 80% of your bile is, uh, or 70 to 80% of your cholesterol is turned into bile. Cholesterol is also used to manufacture sex hormones like pregnenolone, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, that stuff. But the vast majority of cholesterol is actually bile acids. So you make these bile acids in the liver called primary bile acids. And that would be like the uh, cholic acid, the chenodeoxycholic acid. And then those get dropped into the gut. And then inside the small intestine, our microbiome, our bacteria will convert these primary bile acids into secondary bile acids. And then uh, one of them to, to note, and you know of this one, uh, it's called UDCA, U-D-C-A. And then when it conjugates with taurine, the new name is called TUDCA, T-U-D-C-A. Mm. And it's a secondary bile acid. And TUDCA stands for torso deoxycholic acid. And if in if the listener's like, okay, where the heck is Jay going on this? If there's one thing that I'm going to recommend because of your inflammation summit that you're doing, which is so important to understand, mm-hmm. Tudka, which our body naturally makes from bile acids, converts into a secondary bile acid, that is the bile acid that is anti-inflammatory. That is the bile acid that will protect cellular damage. It will basically protect the smooth endoplasmic reticulum, which is in pretty much all our eukaryotic cells from damage. So if you have liver damage, your body making Tudka will protect that. Well, vast majority of people have poisons and toxins that then mess up the microbiome. So then you're not making these secondary bile acids. If you're not making them, all the other bile acids are super oxidative. They're very stressful. So if the bile is not moving, you have all this oxidative damage that's happening. And if you can create movement and motion in that GI tract, in the bile ducts, and then have the microbiome to actually break that down and turn it into an anti-inflammatory, you know, bile acid like Tudka, I mean, that is a game changer. I'm maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but that's just, I guess, some of the science on it. Yeah, and I definitely want to come back to Tudka. And, and so basically, when you have a healthy microbiome, you produce these natural bile acids. But when you have dysbiosis you're not producing them and your bile can be very sluggish, very rich in cholesterol and lacking the key bile salts. And that creates kind of this sluggish flow, which can back up. And, you know, obviously then we can, we can have things like, uh, like gallstones and stuff like that, that can be created. And I want to circle back to that. We also know that bile is actually antimicrobial too. So it helps to sterilize. We know that, for example, there are certain types of pathogens that love acid and other ones that love more of an alkaline environment. So when they go in, uh, you know, particularly think about things like, uh, like streptococcus coming from our, our mouth should normally be killed in the stomach by the stomach acid, right? And then there are other bacteria that are acid loving bacteria, right? That can make it through that. Uh, like for example, um, uh, lactobacillus, right? So those love acid, but then they don't necessarily love the alkaline environment, right? And so then bile can come in and kind of help keep things in check. And we have such a an, an epidemic of bacterial overgrowth, particularly small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And this really comes down to issues going on with stomach acid and bile flow, because that should help regulate those things. And so with Tudka, what you're saying is this, we taking this helps to thin that bile so that it can flow real effectively and it also has anti-inflammatory elements. Can you explain that in more detail? 
Yeah, yeah. Just to highlight, I mean, you're exactly on, David. Um, so literature has shown that having a lack of bile production and a lack of bile flow is a precursor of SIBO. So if you increase the bile movement, you basically can help clear out SIBO, which has been a really big, you know, issue come to come to topic the last six years. Um, the other thing that's been shown too is it will kill C. diff. So those that you know are getting C. diff and it's like, oh, I can only do a, you know, um, what's that fecal enema, you know, transplant to yeah. to do the C. diff. It's like, well, if you really just have proper bioflow, you you won't get the C. diff like that. That's the natural the natural production of it. So, yeah, the big the big thing is looking at how do you keep the movement. So what you mentioned is if if the bile's backed up, then you end up with more cholesterol, which you're completely right. Because it's actually a, if you convert cholesterol into a primary bile acid and it sits there, it's a negative feedback loop and it says no more converting cholesterol. So people that have high cholesterol generally have issues in this liver hmm. issue area and movement. Yeah, because it's very, these primary bile acids are very oxidative and super stressful. So you don't want to keep making more and more and more if they're not moving. When they actually move, then the body will be converting cholesterol into these bile acids. It gets to the gut. And then, yeah, the microbiome should make secondary ones that are then super beneficial. A lot of the bile acids, bile salts will get absorbed at the end of the small intestine. Some will get into the large intestine and then some will even get absorbed. Like where a coffee enema gets absorbed, the hemorrhoidal veins and go back to the hepatic portal vein system. But most of the bile acids are re re recycled at the end of the small intestine and back in. Um, but Tudka, the body naturally makes. But what I found clinically is that if you are uh, not well, your body doesn't have a lot of Tudka. And I think it's because of the messed up microbiome. So by taking Tudka, which your body naturally makes, I mean, Tudka has been, we had uh, one of my friends who's a researcher now with us, Dr. Nick Ellenson, who you know as well. He put together, he he researched Tudka for like three months straight. And he's got, a, I think it's 26 pages now on all the things. So Tudka, if you take it, and let's say you take a capsule of Tudka in the morning and you eat breakfast, it will mimic as if you're intermittent fasting as far as brain cognition. So just some random, crazy, awesome thing. It's been shown to be beneficial against the C word, uh, uh, cardiovascular, issues. If you take it and have a stroke, it'll cause half the damage because it's protective. If you take it afterward, it'll help speed up the healing. It's um, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, Huntington's disease. I mean, pretty much um, most things, and I know it's a, a big blanket statement, but actually literature has been shown to support Tudka because of its strong anti-inflammatory and cellular protection effects, which is why it's one of the things I, I definitely wanted to highlight for your summit because it fits into this chronic inflammation. Like and, and it could stop yeah. it. But when you get sick, you don't make it. And so you kind of get into this self-perpetuating cycle where you're not making it, you're making more inflammation. And you, you know, by taking it, you can help what what one of the things that's shown in literature is to increase the bioflow by 250%. So it'll increase that movement. Yeah. And it'll be better quality. And it'll it'll also actually actually help to get rid of more of the bile acids in the stool, which you want because toxins are in there. So uh, it's just, a, it's one of my favorites for sure. What are some reasons why people may have backed up bile ducts? Let's talk a little bit more about that. I mean, I know we mentioned dysbiosis. What are some other major factors involved in that? So there's microorganisms, there's poisons, and hormones are some of the biggest factors. So for instance, estrogen 
uh, if you have any estrogen dominance at all, estrogen will cause an excess coagulation of the bile. So estrogen is basically pushed out through the bile. So if you have any hormonal problems, too much estrogen, most likely that's an automatic sign that your bile is not flowing right, clogged up, which then can essentially lead to bile stones and you know all kinds of other problems, digestive issues, not, you know, like we talked about. So estrogen being off or being excess can be problematic. Glyphosate is probably the number one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Anthony Samsell and Stephanie Seneff and Dr. Don Huber, the original OG of researching the dangers of glyphosate. I mean, they've shown so much stuff and have compiled research, but essentially glyphosate stops the production of bile and the movement. So it's a poison. It kills your bacteria, plus it stops the movement of bile and the production. Like, I mean, it's it's literally a GI disaster. And then the microorganism side, um, parasites are a big one. So we've got uh, Giardia, uh, liver flukes, and liver flukes are the ones if you get pains over your liver, and then a referral spot is mid-back pain, or all of a sudden you just get random mid-back pain, like, oh, that could be actually a referral from your liver, which is usually liver flukes. Roundworms are a type of parasite. They can actually crawl from your small intestine up into the bile duct, which is gross to think about, but they'll clog that up. Uh, and then the big one um, that my friend, obviously your friend too, Dr. Todd Watts, talks about is strongyloides. So those, those parasites will actually clog up the liver bile duct system. So we have toxins, poisons, microorganisms, and hormones being what I understand being the biggest factors to clog, clog up the mm-hmm. pipes. Yeah, and thyroid plays a big role with that as well because thyroid hormone helps to activate the bile ducts to be able to push bile. So if you're also hypothyroid, which can also be uh, you know, downstream, you know, it may be actually caused by poor bile flow, by estrogen dominance, by a lot of the factors you're talking about, dysbiosis and parasites, or it could be primary. Um, you know, let's say you had your thyroid removed or whatever it is. You know, in that case, that's going to cause more sluggish bile flow as well. So that's a big factor too. What are the main symptoms that you're seeing when somebody has poor bile flow? This might sound a little silly, but if you have any health issues, your bile is going to be jacked up. Your liver is going to be problematic. I mean, it's the main things people talk about is, oh, you have jaundice or, you know, you have allergies and food sensitivities. But really, when you look at the the liver, it has so many different biochemical uh, reactions that happen inside from detoxification to hormones to blood sugar that, I mean, it could just be you run a 95 on your blood glucose and you're like, I eat well, I don't understand it. Well, it could... It could just be parasites inside your liver that's jacking up the blood glucose, you know, the glucagon that then is showing blood sugar. So it could be something where you think maybe it's more my diet, but it's actually liver. It could be, you know, hormonal dysfunction, which of course estrogen dominance can indicate all kinds of different symptoms. It's it's a pretty big gamut. Uh, that's a great question, but probably the number one is any GI issues. Um, immediately there's going to be liver bile duct dysfunction because they're they're so intimately connected. Yeah, absolutely. I see that. And also a lot of histamine reactions, a lot of itching, allergies, all very, very common with, uh, with bioflow issues. In fact, there's a condition called pruritus that's associated with, uh, you know, bile acids triggering more, more, uh, skin issues, right? More itchiness in the skin. So that the skin actually becomes basically it, it's, it's hypersensitive, right? So things that normally wouldn't sensitize the skin now start to sensitize the skin. You're itchy all over the place. That's oftentimes related to bile flow. Now, what are some labs? Because I know typically labs are going to show things more as they're advanced. 
um, and not really in the early stages. But let's say somebody was going to look at labs. What kind of labs should they look at for liver, gallbladder function? Well, I mean, there's more advanced things where you can run like ultrasounds and MRIs and things. And they found in uh, in some literature, they've actually found retrograde movement of the lymph within the liver because the liver actually makes 50% of the lymph production in your body, um, which is kind of a fun, mm. fun fact to, to know. Your gut, your mesentery lymphatics make about 25% percent, roughly 30%. So just in your liver and your digestive tract makes about 80% of the lymph in the body and not in, in what we think of the third type of lymph is the soft tissue lymph. So uh, the liver plays a big, a big role with that. What was the, what was the question? I just got sidetracked on lymph labs. Let's say like uh, if you were to get some blood labs done, you know, and they do yeah. your liver enzymes, GGT, AST, ALT, right? Your alkaline phosphate right? Billy Rubin, right? What are some of those markers that you're looking at there? Those five right there, the, those yeah. ones that you literally listed. And the thing is, even if uh, and it's good to go to a, a practitioner that understands how to read labs, you know, my, my main research and stuff wasn't actually in labs. So I usually defer, I usually ask my friend Todd Watts, I'm like, hey, what, what's your thoughts on these, you know, and he always gives me his interpretation of it, because he teaches, you know, practitioners how to interpret that stuff. But uh, the big takeaway, one of the, the gems that I saw one time was having super low ALT and AST, which is within the normal range, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's not a, oh, I'm, you know, I have a five level of my ALT or AST, like it's zero through, you know, 35 or 40, and they give you a number, right? Well, if it's too low, that means really, that's under functioning, like the liver's not even, you know, working, if you will, which then usually comes back to the mitochondria and, and kicking in. So I always just look at, and you can just, you know, do some research or ask your uh, practitioner to help with this, but functional ranges. So, or what's called more optimal ranges, because like you said, if you are outside of the range on ALT or AST, that's a sign that you've had liver issues for quite a while. And that's more pathological, but what are the signs leading up to it? I mean, basically any type of health issues, there's going to be liver and bile ducts dysfunction, which then you really want to address. And that that's kind of the where I want to come in and just say to the listener, hey, if there's any health issues, make sure to give your liver some love. Obviously, the gut, you know, people talk about the digestive tract, and you've done an amazing job educating the world on the on the GI tract as well, and the gut, and just the importance. But the liver is, you know, it's intimately connected with that. And it's got to be something that we address early on and support throughout the journey. Because if we start killing microorganisms, or we start detoxing, and the body can't handle it, it can't move things through the bile, because the drainage pipes are clogged up, you know, you're not pooping, you're not going number two, you're going to have all these reactions because just like you said, pruritus comes from the liver backed up or the bile ducts backed up because the bile acids that are made, very stressful, very oxidative. It's not until they're converted into certain types of secondary bile acids where they're super protective and they actually will, you know, any liver damage, they'll stop the liver damage in its tracks like Tudka. If you have any liver, liver damage, go on Tudka and it'll stop liver damage from progressing and it'll help to actually heal it. I just wanted to take a moment and interrupt this podcast to tell you about Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex. Vitamin C is a critical compound when it comes to supporting a healthy immune system. It's powerful for the immune system, but it's also really good for your skin, really good for energy. Most people don't realize this, but it actually plays a very important role in energy production. And again, for skin health as well, joint health, there's so many things that vitamin C supports our body in. And what I love about Paleo Valley's Essential C is it's a really powerful pure vitamin C supplement 
And unlike most vitamin Cs, it contains zero synthetic ingredients that were created in a lab. Instead, it's made from three of the most potent whole food sources of vitamin C on the planet. So nothing weird in there, just food. Guys, check them out at paleovalley.com forward slash jockers to save 15% off. If you're looking for a great vitamin C to support your immune system, your skin, and your energy, go to paleovalley.com forward slash jockers to save 15% off the essential C complex. Now let's talk a little bit about phase one to phase two, because a lot of people, when it comes to liver detoxification, they are fast with phase one, but slower with phase two. So for example, some people have some caffeine and they can't metabolize it real well. So they get basically uh, overwhelmed, right? And they get anxiety, irritability, oftentimes can be related to uh, a fast phase one, low phase two, slow phase two. So how does that process work? And, and what are some things that we can be doing to help improve and create balance there between phase one and phase two? Yeah, it's a great question. So with the liver and the detoxification, phase one is using the um, cytochrome P450 enzymes. Phase two is using the conjugation, you know, the, uh, that's yeah. where, you know, the famous word glutathione, yeah, methylation, yep. acetylation, uh, sulfuration, these kind of things come in. And it's common, and this is this is just my opinion, and I'd love to hear your take on it. It's common where, yeah, you process phase one well. And the, and the interesting thing of phase one, and there's all these cofactors and everything people talk about. Oh, you need, you know, vitamins B2, 3, 6, 12, B9, or folic acid, or folate, and, you know, flavonoids and all these things. But really, when it comes down to the crux of phase one working, it is oxidation and reduction, meaning oxygen and hydrogen. Molecular oxygen, molecular hydrogen is really yeah. what what's needed. But it seems as if phase one gets processed a little easier. But when you process phase one, like you mentioned, it actually makes things more toxic. Yeah. So if you're not processing in phase two, now you have more toxic intermediates that are causing, you know, stress inside the liver. And it's more common to have phase two is slower, like you mentioned. Yeah, and then that's where a lot of glutathione and methylation and things get popular. But here's, here's where I want to add my input on, in my opinion. If you can't get rid of after you process phase two, if you can't dump into phase three or the liver drainage, if that's backed up, that backs the whole train up where you can't even process phase two. So I, I almost believe the lack of phase two working well isn't because we're, we need more methylation support. I just went down that route and I just didn't see clinically it made a huge difference. I actually see a bigger difference when you open up the liver bile duct system phase mm. three, then the phases start working more optimal. So what's yeah. your thoughts on that? No, I agree. I think that's uh, extremely important. We've got to be able to move those things out. And, uh, you know, some some clear signs also that I see, sometimes people have pale stools or stools that will float, right? Kind of signs that they're not moving out. They're not metabolizing fats well, getting the bile out effectively, oftentimes really, really stinky, uh, like overly smelly poops and, and farts and things like that uh, can also be a sign there that we're not not getting that bile flow where it needs to be. But I agree. I think bile flow, optimizing bile flow through those bile ducts is absolutely critical. And the good thing about it is that the same kinds of foods, and we can, we'll talk about that next, the same kind of foods and nutrition strategies that are going to help with bile flow will also help with phase two detox, 
right? And so, I mean, think about things like artichokes and radishes, right? And uh, different bitter herbs like parsley and milk thistle and cilantro all help with phase two and phase three, right? So they kind of go together from that perspective. What are some of your favorite liver cleansing herbs and, and foods to consume? Oh, I, I know I already mentioned Tudka, but honestly, number one, when we first came out with it from our company, you know, I just, I've, I've been using it for uh, maybe four years. And then our scientists were able to source some, the pure stuff we've seen and then uh, make some modifications to help protect it and just deliver it a little bit better. And when we came out with it, there was some people who were like, oh, I'm so stoked. You know, I make my morning smoothies and, you know, get the Vitamix or the Nutribullet out and stuff. And they open capsule of Tudka, threw it in there because they're like, oh, it's going to help, you know, that going to help the GI <laughs> basically made the smoothie horrible tasting and they couldn't <laughs> even finish it because in this, and I actually, uh, my, my daughter, uh, I gave her some antiparasitics last night. She's like, dad, I just don't feel like I'm pooping good, you know? And I, so I gave her some um, antiparasitics, a liquid, and then I just was testing her and checked she needed a little bit of Tudka. I'm like, oh, she's going to hate me for this. But, and she doesn't swallow capsules. She's, she's eight years old right now. And mm-hmm. so I opened and put a quarter capsule of the Tudka in there. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it's going to taste really bad. Here's, you know, some water to chase afterwards. She's like, oh, what was that? <laughs> and honestly, the reason I say it, because the bitter thing, like you said, is so amazing. But I think Tudka has got to be the worst bitter tasting substance I've ever had, which makes me realize why it flipping works so good to move the bile because there is something about that bitterness um, that really helps open that up. Yeah, for sure. And so other good foods though, well, let's say if somebody were going to, you know, add in some different herbal teas, maybe they're going to make a smoothie out of some things. Um, what kind of, what kind of herbs and bitters can they add into their diet? I mean, you're more of the food, food expert guy. So I'd love to hear your take. Uh, I mean, dandelion yeah. leaves are great. Like I mentioned, beets uh, overall, which is a great way to even monitor transient time of the GI mm. tract, but they're just really good for liver, really good even for, uh, in my opinion, uh, kidneys. Um, gosh, well, let, yeah, let me let me turn it on you because you're the food yeah. guy. What, what's well, your favorite? Ginger base? tea. Ginger tea is a great ginger. one or ginger dandelion tea. You can get like combinations like that too, which are great. I love artichokes. I think artichokes are fantastic for it. Radishes, I eat them almost every single day. My body just craves them. Um, garlic, onions, right? The kind of sulfur compounds that are in those are really good. You also have, uh, let's see, lemons and limes. So squeezing lemon, lime on your food can be really helpful for, for, for bioflow, stomach acid production as well. So yeah, all those things are, are, are fantastic. And they're things that we want to be doing on a regular basis and adding into our diet and our lifestyle. Now, how about some other strategies? I know that you've been a fan of coffee enemas, Let's talk about uh, that a little bit. Yeah, big big fan of coffee enemas just because I've seen so many big changes. And in the last year, I've really seen some big breakthroughs on people clearing out bile stones or gallstones, even with the coffee enema, kind of like the old school Hulda Clark, Epsom salt, olive oil, grapefruit juice, which just tastes horrific. <laughs> uh, another food I just thought of with the glutathione thing, jumping back there, um, uh, broccoli sprouts. That's a good yeah, one. for. that's a great yeah, one glutathione in the liver, obviously. But um, yeah, the coffee enema, I know if someone hasn't done it, it's really easy to be like, okay, I'm going to tune this part out. I'll come, I'll, I'll, I'll bring my concentration back when they start talking about something else. But the, the gist of a coffee enema, it's not to flush the colon. And it, does it help? Yeah, it helps to you know move some poop out. And if you're backed up, whatnot. It's always better to move that more than less because again, mm-hmm. 
more inflammation, the more the poop gets sits there essentially. But the the gist of a coffee enema, you put the tube in about six inches. So it's good to have just a nice thin tube, put a little coconut oil on there. Um, it's usually good to do a coffee enema right after you poop, you know, in the morning, wait till you defecate, go number two, easier to put the tube in. If you are really backed up, you can always just do a water enema really quick to kind of flush it out where it makes it easier to hold it. But essentially you're putting the tube in about six inches and then the coffee, when you release it in, just, you know, let the liquid come in slow. If it goes too fast, it gives you that urge of like, oh my gosh, I got to poop. I can't hold it. But uh, there's these hemorrhoidal veins that are in the distal portion of the colon that then go to this thing called the hepatic portal vein. And all that means is basically the coffee, when you put it into the rear end, about six inches in, gets absorbed by veins and it goes directly to the liver. When it goes to the liver, there's compounds like colorectics and caffeine and palmitates and things in there that actually help increase liver bile production and in the quality and then also the movement. And it is the movement that I've seen that makes the biggest difference in chronic illness because there's so many things that clog it up that it's a good way to open it up. Now, if anybody's ever had a reaction, they're like, oh my gosh, I think it's the caffeine. I can't handle it in coffee enema. It probably is the fact that your bile ducts are so backed up that you're basically, you know, you have a fire hydrant, but you have a garden hose attached to it and you, you don't have the fire you know, hose attached to the hydrant quite yet. So you just need to water it down and not be so intense. And then as uh, you get the bile ducts more opened up, then it's going to be easier. But coffee enemas are amazing. You know, they're promoted for detoxification and, you know, supposedly to help increase glutathione, which I think is all great because it's protective, but it's really the drainage support and the movement of the bile, the creation of bile, the better quality and the movement that I'm such a big fan of it. And I've just seen people where pain will go away uh, reactions, like you mentioned, paritis, itching of the skin, rashes, you know, uh, whatever, herxine from protocols, where they'll do a coffee enema or they're exposed to mold and everything just because mold, actually, I didn't mention this one, uh, mold, mycotoxin, specifically gliotoxin and the triclofacine mycotoxin will clog up that bile and almost stop it. Mm. Uh, so when people get exposures to those things, doing a coffee enema can, can I don't want to say be a saving grace, but it can be a help a big boost, you know, to use it. And the big game changing thing, um, I add some minerals and some uh, oxygen drops to the actual coffee enema solution to help energize it and help to activate all three phases of the liver. But the big takeaway I've seen in the last maybe year or two, I just, I was wondering, I, I took our Tudka and I took six capsules of it, which is a pretty strong dose because just one move stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I noticed I took that about 30 minutes before I did a coffee enema, about 10, 15 minutes in after I took Tudka, all of a sudden I get this wave of, oh, I kind of feel a little nauseous. And then all of a sudden you hear the, and I was like, I think that was my liver releasing. Did the coffee enema and I had stones all over in the toilet. I'm like, these look mm. like just like the ones I had years ago. Well, grapefruit juice, you know, cleanses, which are Man, those are painful, but they work really well. Uh, and then what we figured out is, yeah, you can actually just take some, you know, dose up on Tudka and there's some a couple other supports that I like to add to it as well too, about 30 minutes before a coffee enema. And if you have any bile stones, and after I did it, I think I did, I think it was on the third coffee enema, the stones were gone. So it was like two enemas back to back doing that with, you know, after a couple of days between that, I like cleared all the stones out. I'm like, wow, this is a really cool way where it's a lot more tolerable than having to sit on the toilet all day drinking Epsom salt. Cause that, as you know, is pretty, uh, that's pretty hard to gag down at times. 
Yeah, exactly. There's the uh, gallstone flush, right? So you're talking about grapefruit juice. You could also do it with like a, a lemon juice, but you basically are drinking uh, apple cider vinegar, which helps to dilate uh, your bile ducts, right? So, you're, so I kind of I have a a, a method where uh, I think normally they recommend apple apple juice, but I've done it with apple cider vinegar. It works pretty good. Help dilate those bile ducts, and then yeah, you hit it with the Epsom salts, and you drink this this cup of olive oil and lemon juice combination that's uh that's pretty nasty and then you and then you go right to sleep and you wake up the next morning and for about six to eight hours you're pooping out gallstones right yeah and, <laughs> and it, it works though i and mean it's like literally our- like surgery on your gallbladder i mean you're literally like it's like you're going in and it's like a, that's the way it's been explained is it's like a surgical procedure you'll actually feel it's not to me it wasn't painful but it was like slightly uncomfortable where I actually can really feel things being dislodged from my liver gallbladder. Right. And uh, yeah, it's really unique and it, and it works like you said. And so this is very interesting that you're able to find that you're getting these results with the Tudka. So doing some high dose Tudka and then adding in the coffee enemas. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, and it's, it's just, it's easier in my opinion, but back when yeah. we had our chiropractic office and obviously you, you know this because you came from this world too. And, you know, we saw, I mean, hundreds of patients in a week up to, you know, six, 700 in a week. So we, we took care of a lot of people. And in that time, I can't tell you how many people were like, Hey, I'm going to have, I'm going to be out. I'm going to have gallbladder. I'm going to have my gallbladder removed. And I'm like, I had a whole sh- sheet back in the day on the, you know, the whole the Clark yeah. liver flush, which yours is probably more updated and use that. But and, and the fear was always, well, what if a stone gets stuck? It's like, well, right. then you got to get it surgically removed, which you're already doing. Not one single person ever had any issues. And every single one of those people that I gave that cleanse to had got to cancel their gallbladder getting removed surgery. Yeah. I was like, this is incredible. The world needs to hear this. So yeah, kudos to yeah, that. It's the kind of thing we all need to be doing. I mean, it's such a great topic for this summit because we all need to be flushing out gallstones. I mean, really pretty much everybody's got gallstones. Um, you know, if, if you have any sort of gallbladder issues, that actually means, and a lot of people will say, well, I have my gallbladder removed. That actually means that you have so many stones that they're jamming up the bile ducts in your liver, right? So um, they don't just exist in your gallbladder, they're in your liver as well. So it's just really important that you're doing things to help remove those. We talked about a lot of those foods, uh, the Tudka, the coffee enemas. How about castor oil packs? Are you- uh, That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one too. Our, our, our friend Todd Watts actually likes to recommend taking castor oil orally to help move bile mm. or, or the bowels as well in some of the GI stuff. But um, yeah, castor oil packing is, castor oil is very drawing and just yeah. the amount of things that build up in the liver because of the lack of flow, that can be that can be really important. But just to hammer your last point home, most people uh, when they have health issues have bile issues. Almost everyone that has gallstones is asymptomatic very few people actually have symptoms. And most of that is, yeah, the gallbladder cholesterol stones, which is exactly what we're talking about. And almost yeah. three quarters of a million people a year have to have their gallbladder out, which, I mean, at least in my experience, yeah. I don't know it's if it's pre- quite a hundred people that maybe did that cleanse, but not one of them ever had to have the surgery. I mean, just un- yeah. Un- unbelievable. Yeah, most of the time it is preventable. And uh, obviously you don't even want to get to that point. There's things you can be doing now. So when it comes to the Tud Cup, what is the optimal dosage of that? And is it best to take it with meals, away from meals? How do you recommend it? 
I'm a little biased. So if you're using our stuff, just one cap is enough. Um, other people's stuff, you definitely need more. Um, just one cap purity. once a day or one cap how many times a day? Uh, I like one cap twice a day. Yeah. And if you are missing a gallbladder, just like you said, that's indicating you have, you've had issues for years in your liver bile duct. So you're it, it, getting the gallbladder out doesn't mean anything was fixed. Um, it actually means you have a little bit more uphill battle to do to clear that out and, and work on the sources. If you're missing a gallbladder, then I like to take one capsule of Tudka with every major meal because mm -hmm. it'll actually help to break that down. We used to back in the day use like ox bile and stuff like that, but the Tudka is a little bit more effective being the water. It's a water soluble bile acid, so it'll help mm. do what your gallbladder is you know, supposed to do. Uh, if you have a gallbladder, then of course we want to keep it. And then honestly, I actually like Tudka away from meals, but if you're eating any major meal and if you have any digestive distress, especially like maybe you're going carnivore or doing lots of fats and keto, take a Tudka with that stuff because it'll just help break it down. Obviously, if it's, you know, MCTs or something that you've talked about, you know, that bypasses a lot of the the whole fat absorption issues. But um, majority of fats though that need assistance, the Tudka will help. So I usually just like to take one uh, in the morning and I usually like to take one in the evening because the liver turns on generally around that 1 to 3 a.m., mm. maybe up to 4 a.m. And when I mean it turns on, it processes a lot of toxins. It does a lot of work. If you're waking up in the middle of the night around that time period, usually what that means is the drainage pathway for the liver is backed up. So now when your liver is processing, you start getting stressed out. You wake up from your deep sleep because that drainage isn't open. So if you took a Tudka before bed, it kind of helps to move that so that when your liver does kick into gear in the middle of the night, that then you're less likely to you know, wake up with uh, issues and you usually get better quality of sleep. And then just take one in the morning too. I mean, most people have bowel movements in the morning. So I like to help support that. And, you know, a Tudco will kind of help create movement in there too. Great. So, uh, so just to summarize that if somebody's having issues digesting fats, maybe they've got extra fat in their stool, maybe they had a stool test and they had higher amounts of steatocrit uh, in the stool, or they just feel feel bad when they eat a lot of fat, take it with the meal. And then in general, for, for general health, taking it away from the meal uh, tends to work best. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Um, but there's systemic effects. So if you're using it for GI, yeah, take it with food. If you don't need the extra assistance, then I like away because there's systemic effects the Tudka has and protection where it's not like you take it and 20 minutes later, the body used it and processed it. And now it's on with its day. It's, it's, it's having its protective effects, um, yeah. you know, as, as you, as you function. Mm -hmm. Now I know you guys also have a kidney liver support product as well. That's got things like dandelion, milk, thistle, marshmallow root in it. Uh, what is, what do you guys like to use that for? Does that help to dilate the bile ducts as well? Yeah, that formula alone, uh, we've had people clear flukes out, even not on antiparasitics. So that one, there's something about it helps to dilate and open up the liver bile duct where the flukes, and the flukes are pretty, they're pretty wide. That's where the pain, the liver pain usually comes mm. from. So as far as, you know, mentioning the pre-coffee enema to clear stones out, I like the Tudka, the kidney liver, and then the lymphatic uh, support. I like actually four capsules of each and that's a, that's a pretty heavy dose. And then 30 minutes later, do a coffee enema. I like to do, you know, I'll make a four cup solution and then take, put half in 
leave it in for 20 minutes, sit, you know, on the toilet, just let it clear out and then do a second one. So I like to do two back to back, but that is an amazing recipe for stones. But what we found is even the lymph, we have a lymphatic support. It actually has some liver and bile duct support. That's a little different than the kidney liver. And that is a little bit different than the Tudka. So each of them have some different functions. And if somebody's having a lot of issues or the flare ups, or let's say they go out and they, you know, they're with friends, they eat a horrible meal, or they have some drinks of alcohol, and they're just they're, I mean, they feel like garbage in the morning. Uh, and there's ways obviously, you can protect yourself, you can take some like bioactive carbons when you eat, and it'll help modulate that. I don't like to necessarily recommend that type of stuff, because I like a good lifestyle. But uh, in the morning, when anytime you feel or let's say you get exposed to mold, uh, or you have a rough night, and in the morning, you're like, man, I just I feel really sensitive, I, I don't feel good. You can take four capsules of each of those, the Tudka, the kidney liver support, and the lymphatic, what I like to call the 444. And it is amazing how much it can just open that up and reset the body and make you feel so much better. Uh, and if you've never done it before, you can, I usually don't just like to jump people right into the 444. I would half it. So I'd do like two capsules yeah. of each, you know, but uh, it, it really works well. And one of the things that's unique about the absorption of supplements, and uh, I know muscle testers, have told us if you actually ask the question, you know, if you look at a product and test it on somebody and ask this question, what percent of this supplement actually gets through the stomach acid and the bile to be absorbed? And you actually get, you know, your muscle test a percentage and most, most stuff is like five to 20%. Um, where our stuff, because of the bioactive carbon technology that we have with it, it helps to protect it. And so it's anywhere between 75 to hundred. We've had people, you know, tell us on the kinesiology world. So it is, um, it, like I mentioned, it's the Death Valley and the, you know, Antarctic that food and supplements have to go through. And so if you can protect that, and that's what like the, the Tudka, we have bioactive carbons in, the lymphatic is same thing, the kidney liver, pretty much all of our products, you know, we use the carbon, the bioactive carbon technology to help support that. Yeah, you're so. mentioning the bioactive carbons. A lot of our listeners are new to that. Can you explain that a little bit more? Uh, yeah. So essentially our body is you know, life is carbon. So anything with life is basically a carbon molecule. Medications, prescriptions, I'm not a fan, but they're there for, you know, emergency purposes. Those are actually based off of salt. Um, so they're actually bound to like salt molecules, which is not what the body's, you know, but the, the backbone of the body is carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. So a carbon molecule, like we'll use extracts of humic and fulvic and some other carbons uh, as well. And essentially they, you know, we'll take the carbon and then we'll extract and then do depends on what it's for, but we'll do usually a couple extractions and get it fine tuned for a specific purpose. Like we have an iodine and, you know, we'll have carbons in it and the carbons are to bind onto the halogens, the chlorine, fluorine, bromine, you know, to help with the iodine. So it's a little bit different extraction process than like a binder for, you know, mold or something like that. But essentially the carbons are unspent. So if you look at, um, let's say you have a campfire and you throw a log in it and all of a sudden you burn, you know, you create heat so you're expending the energy from the log. You had unspent energy of the log, throw it in the fire, it burns, it expends energy, so it's spent. And what you have left is ash. That's activated charcoal, basically, which is basically spent carbon. Well, if you come back to the campsite in a year and there's enough ash there, there's nothing going to be growing there because it's too alkaline, doesn't actually support anything. Where bioactive carbons are unspent. So that means that they have uh, energy to not only get into the cell, but get back out. The activated charcoal side of things, uh, 
probably the easiest way to explain it. Activated charcoal is long chain carbons, which is good. It'll bind onto some things in the gut, but it's not going to cross the gut barrier. Where if you have the bioactive carbons like, like ours, we have a third of it is long chain, a third is medium, and then a third is small chain carbons. The long chain sits in the gut, but the medium and the small get absorbed in the body and the small will get absorbed in the cells and even across the blood brain, brain barrier. And then it's using what's called a covalent bond, which is the strongest. So once it binds on to a chemical or a toxin, it's not going to let go because it's covalently binding, binding it. But the important thing is, is it has energy to not only get into the cell, but it has energy to get back out. And that's one of the most critical things is not only can something actually cross like a cell membrane, but it does that actually have energy to do that and come back. And that's kind of the brilliance of the bioactive carbon. So we have a scientist that is part owner of our company that basically has created these. He's you know, the Nikola Tesla, if you will, of the supplement industry, where he can uh, modify these carbons that are perfectly safe because that's the backbone of what our body's made out of carbon and hydrogen oxygen. That's what these carbon molecules are, carbon and hydrogen oxygen. So it only makes sense that we want to take things that our body's actually made out of versus uh, salt. I mean, we're less than 4% minerals of our body, let alone obviously the salts like prescription meds use are not exactly, uh, you know, usually too healthy for us. So yeah, for sure. And I use a lot of these bioactive carbons. They're fantastic. I know you guys have the Bioactive Carbon Foundation and the Biotox and the, uh, Met the MetChem as well. Exactly. So specifically designed for different types of toxins like molds, viruses, retroviruses, radiation, and also for heavy metals, right? So they have specifically, they're specifically formulated to help grab those things and pull them out of cells and then get them out of the body. So really good stuff. They're definitely life-changing. You know, yeah. if you first to hear of it, you're like, wow, this sounds a little too good to be true, but it it's legit. I mean, we have our, we have a laboratory, five scientists in there. We actually have a second lab with a couple other scientists as well too. And uh, this is, this is moving the supplement world forward. So yeah, I appreciate your support yep. and, and everything and just being able to be on this summit and obviously support friendship wise, let alone with, you know, using these products because um, it's great to see lives change with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to acknowledge you, uh, obviously teamed up with Dr. Todd Watts, uh, who's also on this summit. And you guys have really pioneered the formulation of these products and they are game changers when it comes to functional medicine and really helping people get well, particularly people that have chronic health issues, chronic inflammation, uh, you know, like we're talking about in this summit. So thanks so much. I know my team, we use your products and you can find them at Microbe Formulas or if you're a practitioner, CellCore Biosciences, really top products. And of course, we sell them also on our store, drjockers.com. So Dr. J, thanks so much. Any last words of inspiration for our audience? Just move forward. Oftentimes what we think is one of the worst moments of our life ends up being a pivotal moment that changes our life for the better, but we can't see it in there. So if you're in one of those dark moments or having some stress and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can get through this. I don't know, you know, you're asking God like, hey, what's the purpose of this? You might not ever figure it out or it might be a year or two later, but you're gonna look back and be grateful. So just try to be in that space of gratitude and love because that's really what's creating an environment emotionally that's gonna help support the body to heal and just keep moving forward because there's no other options. You gotta get well. Absolutely. Great words of advice. So there you go, guys. Keep moving forward and we will see you in a future interview. Be blessed. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. 
And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.